Ready for another episode of Wanderings and Wool Gathering? Good. Here's Foggy. Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, Minisode number seven, proudly hosted by North Central Indiana's Rock 98.5. Last week on the show, we spoke with George and Kevin from Jack the Radio about their new record, Creatures. Tonight on the show, we welcome Justin and Tyler from A Wave Blue World. These are the folks behind the comic book adaptation of the record of the same name. Joining me to chat with the boys tonight is Metalhead Mundy. Welcome. Step inside into his mind. It's boy band time. It's Metalhead Mundy. Thank you. Thank you. So just a quick rundown of how we how all of this came to be. Um, Steve and I are lifelong comic book nerds. Been reading them all our lives. And... Uh, the guy that owns the local comic shop here in Kokomo, Indiana, is a good friend of ours. Was in there talking to him. He said, "Hey, this looks like something you might like." It's like, "Okay, well, the cover is pretty awesome. Uh, never heard of it. Started flipping through it. Looked cool. Bought it. Brought it home. Started reading it. Figured out it is this creature, Jack the Radio Creatures Anthology, and it had to do with this band, Jack the Radio. Check them out." band's really good so reached out to them and they agreed to come on the show and i said hey you know why not let's talk to the comic guys too if we can so i reached out to a wave blue world and ended up getting uh hooked up with these two guys so from a wave blue world i would like to welcome tyler chin tanner and justin zimmerman how you guys doing doing great thanks for having us absolutely thank you I guess to start off, let's uh, talk a little bit about how you guys came together, formed your company, and then we'll go into your connection with Jack the Radio. If you can kind of lead us through that first. Sure. Well, I started the company Wave Blue World in 2005, so 15 years ago. That was my uh, last year of art school at the Kubert School. But I knew coming out of the school, I wanted to self-publish my own comic, or at least produce you know, my own um, and it was a bit of a journey for a while as I did. It took me three years to do my first series. And then I had my second graphic novel come out 10 years ago, uh, which we'll get to American Terrace having its uh, 10 year anniversary. Uh, sort of doing like the self-publishing, my own sort of thing, working with artists. Um, wasn't quite sure where I was going with it. Slowly building up. Uh, I ended up moving to Portland. Uh, I founded the company in New York. That's where I met my wife. Uh, we founded the company. Uh, the same year we got married, 2005. But it was when we moved out to Portland and I started doing some shows there. I met Justin at a Rose City Con Comic Con in, uh, in Portland. And he was doing a similar thing, uh, Killing Jar, which we'll talk about as well, um, and some other comics. And we were both doing this sort of same, um, same concept, self-publishing, original ideas, collecting them in graphic novels. And I kind of, we started doing it together. We started doing some shows together first, um, like uh, with an unofficial connection other than, hey, we'll do some shows. And then I started publishing. Well, I think I first published you in uh, the Broken Frontier anthology. And then that kind of started just meshing like this works together. And then Justin, why don't I let you sort of take it, take it from here before I skip, skip anything. <laughs> well, I, I, and uh, so I, my master's is in film. I've been a filmmaker for for twenty years now, um, and I, I over over a decade ago I started creating independent comics because I love them. And um, as Tyler mentioned, 
we were introduced to each other. We had a lot in common and we started tabling together. And then as Oibu World got bigger and bigger, I started doing some of their behind the scenes videos and Kickstarter um, work. And it just continued to be this remarkable relationship and a really uh, core common vision. So it got to a point where I just started having my comic book work exclusively come out through Awebu World. I was such a fan of, of what Tyler and Wendy were doing and just so happy to be a part of it. And then about three years ago now, I actually started working um, for the company. And it's just been, it's just been remarkable bringing um, something that I, I truly believe in to a wider group of people and just to have it get bigger and better and um, get more and more people involved with the books and with the distribution. So we are, I mean, you're talking to us at a remarkable time. We have so many cool things happening this year and we're incredibly proud of them all as insane as this year has been. And we have just scratched the surface of all of the things that we are bringing to the table next year and on. So it's a, it's great to be here to chat about some of this stuff in real time with you. Yeah. And then um, as far as uh, creatures, I'm bringing that about. So that came about from meeting George at Heroes Con. Uh, they're from that area, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And he had actually bought one of the art books that we had done um, the year before. To, uh, so I guess that would be two years ago. Um, uh, Chris Brunner and Rico Renzi, we had an art book, The Kids Stick Together. He bought a copy of that. I met him. He let me know he did some music. I think I got one of his earlier albums. And he just reached out to me, um, let's see, I don't know, six months ago or so, and said that he had this new album coming out, and he had this idea for a comic book, and he was putting it together. And it just, the, back then, I didn't realize we weren't going to have a Heroes Con, or <laughs> he wouldn't be able to have concerts because of the pandemic and everything. So to me, like it was a no-brainer in terms of a Heroes Convention book, and to have at his concerts and things like that. So that didn't happen. We ended up doing more of a traditional comic book direct market release, which is great that comic shops like the one you mentioned uh, in Kokomo, uh, Comics Cubed, right? That yep, that's was? correct. Yeah, um, that guy has been a great supporter of our work. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's it's gotten a nice reception in the sort of traditional comic book direct market that uh, I'm really pleased with because we weren't able to do the convention and the music circuit so much. So, uh, yeah. My, my to this kind of mirrored yours as well. I mean, I, one of my specialties has always been audio and I direct and edit our book trailers. And so to hear that a band has a comic book, um, that could go in a lot of different ways. First off, the work that he curated is astonishing. The number mm -hmm. of people that he brought to the table and how beautifully they they created every page for him um, was great. Uh, a Wibler Roll keeps me pretty pretty darn busy, but I signed on instantly to edit the book and to help him go through it page by page and, and make it as strong as it, as it could be. Then I heard that new album, and I thought Badlands, our last album, was astonishing. But I heard mm -hmm. their new album, and and they knocked it knocked it out of the park. It's it's remarkable. Creatures is remarkable. And so I, I picked the song that I wanted to use for the book trailer. And I said, I'm going to cut it, uh, remix it a little bit. And is this okay with you? And George was like, absolutely. So not only was, not only was the album incredible and the comic itself just, just an 
insanely beautiful treat to work on, but he was also one of the greatest collaborators you could ever hope to find for the short amount of time and in the crazy pandemic world we live in to bring all of these things together into life. So I, I just can't say enough about Jack the Radio, uh, George, and, and the work that, that, they're, all, that they're, they're putting together. Yeah, we, uh, when George and Kevin came on, I mean, just interacting with them before they came on actually was a pleasure. I mean, it was mostly George I was talking to, super down-to-earth guy, really cool. And as soon as I heard them from the, you know, when I searched out their music from the comic, I, I mean, I went back and I listened to everything. And I, I was very, very impressed with how good they were. And uh, so, you know, and it was kind of funny when they came on. I don't know if you guys listened to the episode or not, or if you even knew this, but uh, Kevin, the drummer, is actually from Kokomo. We had no idea. We had no clue. Same high school. Yeah. Oh, wow. He went to the same high school that I did and that Steve now is the assistant principal at. And uh, yeah, it was pretty crazy. Wow. It, yeah. it was interesting, too, because we didn't realize, well, I guess you wouldn't realize, but George has an art background and he's, mm -hmm. so when he talked about how he did the layouts and kind of structured that. So then mm -hmm. you're saying that he reached out, came out with the, or came up with the artist for the book. Is that yeah. how that worked? Yeah, I was going to ask, too, like how much he brought to the table, how much he had already had uh, mm -hmm. in place before coming to you guys. When he reached out, he had like the full roster together. Now, not everybody wow. had turned in their material, but I saw the full list of who was going to contribute. And a good amount was done. Some of the shorter stuff and some things. And just, yeah, seeing like Tommy Lee Edwards and uh, Chris Brunner and those guys in there. Yeah. It, was just, um, it was just incredible. So, I mean, yeah, I, for, for somebody who's just an original concept, just putting out their first comic to get these guys to... To, to work on it with him. I mean, one, it shows the kind of connections and the great guy he has that when he asked these artists, just from knowing them at conventions, that they said yes. Um, but two, like you said, he's got skills himself. I mean, putting this book together, doing the design for it, on top of being <laughs> a great musician, a multi-talented guy. Yeah, I love his uh, pinup that's in the book. is really cool. Yeah. I like that style. It's pretty neat. Well, let's... Um... Let's move over a little bit and talk about you guys because you got some ex super exciting stuff coming up. Uh, the Killing Jar, let's start there. That's your uh, next book coming out in August. Mm -hmm. And um, actually, it's been around for a little while. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm incredibly excited about There's been a lot of ways that Away World is looking forward. And then it's been a pretty neat year to bring some, some older, very special projects to life in a, in a whole new way. And The Killing Jar was uh, a passion project of mine that I built from the ground up. Uh, it's a neo-Western horror piece with a strong female lead. Um, and it's basically about this young woman and her little brother uh, trapped in a Colorado town where the, the, the citizens have just gone crazy with drug lust. So the original drug runners run, roll into town, some police show up, and it just goes to hell. And it was a real, it's a real tribute to neo-Westerns, uh, to the great gritty 70s, uh, 60s and 70s films of yore. And then with, I would say, a pretty, um, a pretty neat spin, modern spin in the midst of it all. And highly researched, by the way. I used to teach, I uh, started a film program in Colorado and fell in love with this town. And I visited jails and I worked with 
um, the the leaders of this community, and it it is a dark and um, intense piece, incredibly visual, but it's also got sadly and scarily enough a lot of real world uh, ramifications. Mm -hmm. So it's never been offered on the direct market before, and that's kind of what's magic about comics and about the 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 staying power of something that you really believe in. So Way Blue World um, designed and, and, and published its giant. It's over 220 pages long. It's, a, it's, a, it's just huge. Um, and it's, uh, it's coming to the world of the comic book store for the very first time after being on the book market for a little bit. So I'm incredibly excited and I'm hoping it's finding a lot of Walking Dead fans who are who are hoping and waiting for something to fill the gap that has been left behind by that by that series and it is 100 percent in black and white so built from the ground up to be as stark and intense as possible yeah, i think okay I asked, uh, question oh, just real fast i thought i i think i asked a question in your email i started reading it but didn't pay attention to the page count and i'm used to now getting gypped on yeah. these comics or 20 pages and you're done it's like what well, you know it's three minutes and i'm reading i'm like oh my gosh this just keeps going and i'm so glad because I couldn't figure out why it was called the killing jar until I get to the, you know, near the end, not spoiling anything. And I'm like, ah, there it is. You know, so I'm so glad that I didn't have to stop and figure that out later. <laughs> yeah. That's also a little classic movie move there where you drop the title in somewhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm glad you said it was in black and white because I felt like I was missing something because I think in your, um, was it the afterward maybe? that you said something about colors and I was like, mm, man, they just sent us a black and white version. So, <laughs> Oh no. So what had happened was from the ground up and we actually shot that from pencils. Like I yes. really wanted a, a classic kind of George Romero uh, reversal 16 millimeter film look. And if I mm -hmm. hadn't have found someone who was tight enough on the pencil uh, side of things, that would not have been possible. But, you know, I did some digital inking a little bit here and there, some digital tones, but I wanted the grit and the grain of the pencil on the Bristol. And I wanted it to, to, to have that kind of tactile feel from page mm -hmm. one. What we did though, was when we went back and put it together as the graphic novel, we, we made some support material, but the, uh, the cover was redone from the pencils with okay. uh, by a colorist that I work with quite a bit named Fran Gamboa. And so that was actually neat to see him bring that cover image to life in a completely new way. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Russ Brown, who drew every single one of those pages on Bristol with pencil. And I've continued to work with him off and on since, uh, since that project. Okay. I got you. But yeah, it, the, I, I mean, you can tell that it's the direct scans of the pencils. I mean, it very much has that feel, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you clarified that. Cause I felt like I was missing something. <laughs> I think you can turn it into a 3D book because there's a really cool scene where he throws a can out the window and it's got trailing splatter of liquid. I'm thinking, oh, that'd be perfect for 3D. <laughs> it, it deserves to be a movie someday for sure. And, you know, people have been interested in the past, but there's just no way I'm going to give that one up unless, um, you know, we get to be uh, intimately involved in it. It's, it's, uh, it's precious to me, this, these characters and, and that book. And that's why I'm, again, so grateful to... Tyler, Wendy, and Away Blue World for, for, for bringing it to life into a whole new audience. Yep. Yeah. Tyler, I wanted to touch on one of yours, too. I have your uh, 
That's Mezzo it. here, and this is actually an autograph copy. So thank you for that. So yeah, because uh, you got that from Comics View, right? I, I did. That. Yes. Send them some some uh, autographs on those. Yeah. Yeah, and it also came with uh, the little. The oh print. yeah, mini prints. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. cool. But uh, I don't know if you wanted to touch on that story. I know I messaged you the other day and told you I enjoyed the book and you were talking about what's coming next. If you want to touch yeah, on any of that. We're going to volume two now. It's a, it's a pretty big story. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it's going to be five total volumes, but you know, I'll know more as I get closer to the end. I've outlined a lot, but uh, yeah, I want to do a fantasy story. Uh, I was looking for a way to do it a little bit differently. Uh, when I got together with Josh for the original artist, he suggested um, basing it off of uh, Maya history and, and um, aesthetic and setting it in the rainforest. And uh, that really appealed to me, especially if he was willing to draw it. Um, yeah, very detailed. Which was great. Um, and he ended up passing that on to Val Rodriguez, mm -hmm. who's doing the art now and who's, who's with us for volume two. Uh, it's just been a lot of fun. I did a lot of research about Maya, Aztec, Toltec, all those cultures. Uh, I think it's great that we set it in a fictional fantasy world. Yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of a cool twist. Um, but yeah, you know, much like a Game of Thrones uses the you know Anglo-Saxon uh, medieval period, I want to do something like that where it's low-level fantasy. It's not all you know magic powers all over the place. Most of it's pretty human level combat and and things like that but uh yeah it gave me a little chance to do a bit of magic here and there and, and some underlying themes and just uh really address um issues um you know that that are very universal you know i mean the, rather than like you know american terrorists or something like that where i address some issues pretty head-on you know this looks at religion empire building um tribalism nationalism things like that um but within like a fantasy setting so it's more analogous rather yeah. than direct um but mostly it's just you know i want to do something that's a lot of fun fast moving you know never slow down starts with a battle you know ends with a battle it's it's you know i yeah it's just been a blast and i look forward to working on it for for a while going forward you know, having another volume out next year and hopefully the year after that. I got a question for you. I haven't read it yet. I was working the live show that night when he had those and I said I was going to buy it if nobody else did. And of course, somebody bought it. So I haven't read it yet. But um, so when you had a period piece like that, you yeah. have to choose how to write the voice of the characters. So they either sound authentic or or not. You intentionally choose not. Kind of reminds me of uh, like Brian Wood's Northlanders. They mm -hmm. talk like very modern, and then the yeah. idea is, well, how in the world do you sound like somebody who speaks a foreign language, you know, a thousand years ago? You, you right. just can't, so you make a choice. So, what was your choice in the voice for the characters in Mezzo? Um, I made that. I made it pretty simple. Like, I didn't do what I remember from Northlanders was actually just throwing in modern slang and, um, you know, specifics. Like, I tried to kind of um, smooth that out. So you wouldn't be reading something and hear like a common phrase that you'd hear today or anything. But other than that, it's just pretty plain talk. Um, I did develop a couple terms, a couple words that are specific for that word, for that world. Um, things that they would say, just, 
you know, you'd easily pick up to know, okay, that's what they call this. Um, right. Made up a lot of animal names. Um, I don't use things like hours, like they have their own time setting because that's such an mm -hmm. important thing. So I did take some things out, even though it's a translation, but I think that helps put you in a different world where you're like, okay, you wouldn't, they wouldn't necessarily have the same term for, for everything. Right. Um, yeah. But I don't know. I don't like the slang too much. I, that kind of threw me in something like Northlanders where you're like that, like, I get, we don't know exactly what they would sound like, but they shouldn't sound like the dudes hanging out at the bar down the street either. You know, well, it was like yeah. two pages in and they're dropping F-bombs and it was like, whoa, yeah. and then it, but then it got so brutal. It was like, okay, yeah. I'm all right with it. You know, <laughs> moving along. Yeah, it was definitely a choice, and it was an interesting one. Yeah. Cool. Well, I can't wait to read that now. I'm going to go over yeah. to Jeremy's and steal that. <laughs> you don't have to steal or you can borrow it. <laughs> okay. um, so, you know, you guys, you Tyler, you and your wife started a comics company, and, you know, Justin, you obviously have some kind of history with the medium. So where, where along the line did you guys actually get into comics? What pulled you in? what you know how did you fall in love with comics and all that stuff well i fell in love with comics at a really young age uh mm -hmm. reading it right off the spinner rack batman spider-man etc um i think even as early as like four years old as some of my earlier ones that i have from the early 80s uh, but i didn't get into comics immediately um i was actually a teacher for a couple of years um both uh you know um Domestically and then abroad, I was did a year in Africa, a year in Costa Rica, and it was actually in Costa Rica that I applied to the Kubert School. Um, it was from an ad in a Wizard magazine. Oh yeah, <laughs> I called them up and I applied to the school, and that's when I kind of re um, found that love or decided that I wanted to do it as a career. I had thought that, but I didn't really have a clear path. And then I don't know. I was in high school. It was like the '90s, so I was like less into it with like the bagged comics and stuff. Oh, yeah. So you know, passion, passion kind of dwindled and I was like, oh, maybe I should get like a real job. Teaching, <laughs> <laughs> But I, I knew there was always that pull to the creative side and to writing and things. And so, uh, yeah, I went to the Huber School and I met Wendy that first year there because I was in New York. Um, and yeah, she encouraged me to just, you know, start our own company and so that's that's what we did and started producing our own content. Justin, what about you? Yeah, I, I too uh, love comics ever since I was a kid. But um, I remember back in the day at the library before comics and graphic novels actually had their own sections. There was the uh, first oversized graphic novel, the original run of Elfquest by Wendy and Richard Peeney. And okay. uh, mm -hmm. these have been reprinted, but never at the quality of that that first graphic novel run. And that changed my life hands down. Um, some of the most evocative and wonderful characters in storytelling. And I, I don't know if it would be, if it was dramatic to say finding that kind of stuff saved my life, like falling in love with that kind of work and realizing that people could create um, better worlds was just, incredibly important to me as a young person and i was always punching way above my weight like i was reading stephen king the stand like in middle school and i had teachers slip me stuff that i wasn't supposed to be reading with my parents permission but that other students weren't supposed to know about science fiction you know harlan ellison stuff way before i i should have been reading it so you know that's the kind of thing that that really helped shape me 
on one level. And it's, it's one of the reasons why I love writing and creating so much today. You hope you can give other people that same experience that maybe you, you were fortunate enough to, to have had. Um, but yeah, I too took a very different route to the comic book world. Like I mentioned, a full-time filmmaker and um, have been making films for 20 years. I've been a professor at four colleges, started two film programs and worked for a number of companies and corporations uh, doing film and, and project management work from Cisco Systems to Getty Images. Where it comes back to me was I, I had a story that I could only imagine telling in the comic book world. And so I started making comics because I wanted to make comic books. Nobody told me what to do or how to do it. I had to figure a bunch of things out. And from there, uh, that became my, my path. And so I'm also incredibly devoted to creator-owned work and um, always willing to go. I think as a way the world surely is the extra mile to make sure that the people we work with and the creators we work with are, are doing the best work they can. Because we've been there. We're all, we've all made, we've all been making comic books and we all continue to make comic books. We all love comic books. So let me ask you a question. I'm going to follow up on something you said, because um, you talk about, you know, it's your passion. You just make the book. Well, I know a lot of people, um, I was part of a, an anthology a long time ago called uh, The Gathering. It, it started on the Brian Michael Bendis message board. And I'm friends with those guys now. And a lot of them would still like to make stuff, but they're writers. It's so difficult to get anything made when you're a writer and you don't have a lot of cash to pay an artist because a lot of artists won't become a partner in the project. They just want to be paid up front. What, do, what kind of a suggestion would you have for writers who want to be comic writers but don't necessarily have the ability to produce the art? You have to find a partner, a creative partner, but those artists are correct the amount of time and energy that they're putting into every page is extraordinary, especially if they're doing upper level work. And that's why I've never had an issue with um, working in a full-time job and then putting some portion of that, instead of buying a, a new car or a vacation or whatever, just putting something away until you've got the budget to, 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 to work hand in hand with an artist. And I know that's not scientific. There's no, it's not like a, a rocket science formula, but you know, I'm from a world of, of, of film where people collaborate and work together, but you still need to cover the bases. You don't bring a bunch of people out to set without making sure there there's insurance and there's food and there's a place to stay, right? You, you are asking people to go the extra mile for you. So you have to cover the basics. And so a lot of people, when they think about making comic book, they think about page one. And what you want to do in any kind of project, as far as I'm concerned, and I'm going to say this and then I'll shut up, is you got to work backwards. You got to think about page 120. What's it going to take you to get to page 120, if that's how long your story is? But, you know, we live in a world where you can, if you can make a PDF, you can make a comic book. If you can call a print shop, you can make a, a, a one copy of your, of your comic. So you just need to figure out what you need to tell your story, figure out a budget and a time frame from that, and then work backwards. And then you wait and you save and you work to the point where you can start that thing. But you don't decide, you know, I'm going to start and then I'm going to get there. I think it's much more productive to think, what do I need to get there? Okay, once I have that together, then I begin. And of course, plans fall apart and everything is going to go crazy. But because you had that initial idea and that plan, that structure in mind, you know, you're much, much, much more likely to get something you're proud of 
and then you finish it, you get it out into the world, and you start working on the next thing. And now, one thing you can do, um, if that's too long, I mean, you mentioned anthologies, that's just a great way to get started as well, or at least test the process. Um, but even if you do done one, do another, because you know, you're building yourself up there in eight page increments, not necessarily 120. I mean, if you figured out how to get that done, the 120 page, great, you know, but don't be afraid to start with one, two, three, four anthology stories, or just keep going that way. Um, another thing about the artist, it is critical that you both get um, a very skilled artist and an artist who's willing to do their best work for you, which is why it is important to get that uh, money for it. Because you as a writer, you really don't have the ability to show your skills if the artist isn't showing them in the book. Um, you know, so if you're getting someone else who's as green as you are, or just, oh, getting someone out of art school, doesn't mean you can't find a good one, right? But you don't want them, if, if both of you are testing your skills at the same time, you know, it, it's, it's not going to come out. Your script isn't going to come out well. Um, you're writing a comic book here, not a script that happens to be drawn by somebody, right? So if you want to show you know how to write comics, you need to have an artist that shows that they knew how to draw them from your script. Yeah. Totally makes sense. Brian Michael Bendis is a great, I mean, he's one of the very first people I met in Portland at like a tiny Portland comic show. And mm. he was just remarkable to talk to. Um, he's from Ohio. I went to undergrad and graduate studies in Ohio. I got a lot of film, uh, uh, family there. And my wife um, was born and was born outside of Cleveland. Yeah. So there are all these kind of Ohio connections. He'd heard tons about him. And I'd been reading his stuff forever. But he's a great example because he was making independent comic books for a decade plus mm -hmm. in Ohio before he became an overnight success. Right. And so I think a lot of people forget about the decade <laughs> where you're where, and his and his early stuff is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. But the 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 idea is, is that people started figuring that out after he put his time and his energy and for so many years honing his crap and his voice. And, you know, you, it's it's a page by page process. You learn as you go. But you, but but Tyler's 100 percent right. You've got to showcase your stuff and you've got to get it out into the world and you've got to build. It's not the one thing you just finished. It's the the many, many, many things. I, I mean, hell, I'm still learning things to this day, and I probably will be until the day I die. Well, that's all very good advice. So um, you you brought up uh, meeting Bendis at a con, and since uh, nobody can go to a con right now, <laughs> everybody's, you know, kind of, well, not everybody, but there's a lot of people participating in the uh, Comic-Con at home last week. Um, do you guys have, like, a favorite run in at a con over the years or any good stories you'd like to share? I'll just quickly follow up on just what I just said was, and I, I, I might not have, um, I might not have articulated this, but he was so kind and gracious to someone who was just beginning to figure out how they were going to get into this stuff. And I will never forget about that. Um, and all the people I've met, all the things I've done, uh, that, that was, that was so important um, because I, I don't know if I would have started that first page if he wouldn't have said, yeah, you got to give this thing a shot. I think you got your head on straight. Sounds like you know what you're trying to do. Go for it. Now, I mean, it, it was it was it was remarkable. And um, yeah, he is yeah. that way because of an experience he had with Walt Simonson, who did the same thing for him. 
who yeah. I met at San Diego Comic Con last year, and uh, he's amazing. He's so mind. nice. <laughs> <laughs> but that's it for me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll follow up with the Walt Simonson story. It was uh, one of the early Chicago shows. Um, I had met Doug Braithwaite. You know Doug. Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. And I bought a couple pages for him from him. And I come swinging by, and there's Walt Simonson sitting next to him, right? And I was like, oh, my God, Walt Simonson, too. And so uh, Doug remembered me from just having bought the pages. So he introduces, he introduces him to me, and he says he's a fan of, really, of good comic art. But I kind of thought he was saying, like, he's a fan of mine or something like that. That's what I expected him to say. So I say to Walt, and I'm a fan of yours, too. So he's a fan of good comic art. <laughs> also a fan of yours though so. oh, that's great not the impression I to make. you just um, fanboyed out a little bit that's all right <laughs> can i also throw in uh, greg rucka so the same convention that i met um justin at greg rucka was sort of just across the way from me and the first time i met him he gave me a donut brought in a box of donuts <laughs> <laughs> like oh this is how i'm meeting greg rucka he's giving me a donut I'm like that's a, that's a way to my heart right there. Not that he, not that he needed it to make a good impression, right? But uh, so yeah, that's probably me. My my two stories. I, yeah, it's always cool when you meet people you admire and they actually turn out to not be jerks. That's a big plus. Yeah. And I would say I one of the absolute nicest people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting was David Mack. Mm. Yes, he he's so so nice and just took all the time in the world, you know and. He was very cool. And my biggest, <laughs> my biggest fangirl moment was probably Bill Sienkiewicz. I, uh, <laughs> he's probably still wiping me off of him. So it was, that it was not pretty, but he was so gracious and so very kind. <laughs> I'm going to share one quick one. I don't want to take up too much time because this is about you. But um, a few years ago, I reached out to Jay Lee and requested a daredevil, a full body daredevil. Uh, sketch from him i had mentioned something in there my wife said that she saw in his art an influence and you know so it's norman rockwell is one and then she named this other artist and i'd never heard of him my wife's an art teacher and um he came back and he said that is absolutely right that is his other influence and he took some money off the sketch for me but oh, he told me not to tell anybody so <laughs> it's been a few years so what the, the heck? secret is 100 percent safe with us <laughs> Everybody that listens to this podcast. Confidential here. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move on. Um, you also gave us an advanced look at Deadbeats, a cool anthology. And before you guys talk about it, I just want to say whoever did the layouts in the beginning is a genius. The jukebox look to describe oh. who was doing the stories was cool. absolutely perfect. Yes. Yeah, that was Nicola Black uh, who designed that. Uh, really good designer for sure. Yeah, uh, Deadbeats came out uh, last year. It was our Halloween book last year, and we're re-releasing it this this year just because it's perfect for the Halloween season. A uh, really fun anthology. Uh, mixes music, speaking of, uh, you know, the Jack the Radio and everything. Uh, this one didn't actually have an album to go with it, but the idea was a music shop and the spooky stories about the uh, artifacts that are found in there. Yeah, it was really cool. I particularly like the one with the archaeologist finding the uh, the flute. I thought that was a really cool story. Yeah, that team, uh, Rachel Pollack and Richard Case, uh, yeah. worked on Doom Patrol together. They yes. fought yes. the Great Morrison run 
Um, I think Richard worked with Grant and then moved over to working with uh, Rachel. We reunited. That was the first time they had been reunited since their Doom Patrol in the 90s uh, run. So, uh, yeah, it was cool to have them on that. That was a good story. Yeah, and the book trailer for that was so much fun to do. Uh, that is an original piece of music by Breakmaster Cylinder, who does an incredible array of music for all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and that was just a neat a neat one to animate some of the more expressive shots and and try to to bring that to bring that book together and in in that trailer for like all of our anthologies you get to see uh, at least one piece of art from every single story it's diverse and crazy and just a lot of fun so we're we're excited to to bring it back to for halloween again yeah i like the focusing story with the lady in the shop i thought that was kind of a nice touch to set up everything that was going on so yeah, it's, yeah. A good, it's a good setup, and um, I don't. I mean, you could almost use that. That's perfect to kind of roll into a television series, and she could be your like crypt keeper character, and kind of. <laughs> yeah, we call her the shopkeeper. Kind of. There like. you go. <laughs> no legal entanglements there. <laughs> well, you have a filmmaker on the team. This is a natural. Yeah. Yeah. Want to make some deadbeat stories? It's one of the co- I mean, it's one of the coolest things about about the the idea of having a book trailer for every piece and having time to work with Tyler and Wendy to pick out a a really strong piece of music and then to work with some of my filmmaker compatriots to bring those to life. Um, we're we're devoted to making sure that people see all the potential of the of the stories that we're bringing out. And to my knowledge, nobody else is doing anything like that. So it's a big part of our commitment to the books we put out and um it's also just a heck of a lot of fun to share yeah have you guys ever thought or maybe have done i don't know um solicitations for entries into an anthology like a contest almost um that'd be a lot of work that i don't know that i uh, have (laughs) (laughs) the different submissions Uh, we already have to go through enough submissions that kind of come in for create our own projects I, i i realize the value of that bringing people in but it's i don't know i mean it's also uh, the way that we do anthologies we do look for new talent um but we base it a little bit more off of who we see who we can find we also like to bring in veterans as well so an anthology doesn't feel like a newcomer a project full of uh, newcomer projects so we like to keep the balance there so i found so far i prefer the curated method um, gotcha. keeping, keeping an eye on young talent and new talent i mean that's the idea you do want to break some people in new people like yeah for sure yeah i do i love an anthology and um deadbeats is certainly very cool but that that is a good mix like I, it's fun to see new talent but looking at that table of contents the first name to Rachel Pollock and Richard Case, I was like, holy crap, I know both of them. And, you know, those are fairly decent names. So it's kind of yeah. cool to see a good mix. And for the new people that are breaking in, I mean, you want to get the readership. So by having the bigger names and people, recognizable talent, they're going to get exposed to your work, you know, rather than just trying to push like a book that's of all people nobody's heard of. Right. So do you guys come up with... Uh... Like you said, okay, we're going to do a Halloween theme book. You guys come up with the theme and then pitch to people? How does that work? Yeah, we come up with, all right, what theme are we going to do now? And go out and start asking people 
inviting people, send a solicitation email, like here's, here's the theme of the book, here's the info about it, um, you know, do you, want to, do you want to take part in it? Um, do you have a team member in mind? Can we pair you with someone? Something like that, start the discussion. Do you have any more of the anthologies coming up in the near future? Well, we just kick-started Maybe Someday, which is a sequel to All We Ever Wanted. That was our second Positive Vision sci-fi one, and that'll be out in November. Um, we do have two anthologies planned for 2021, um, but we haven't announced them yet. Okay. So those will come up, you know, but just look for the news here. But they're, they're really cool. Uh, definitely not slowing down in the anthology department. Yeah. Um, All We Ever Wanted, I didn't get a chance it's the same thing sean had some in the in the shop and he ended up i think he sold them on his live facebook live sale and i he didn't have any left so i didn't get one of those yet <laughs> but it did look very cool message sean and be like you need to reorder buddy <laughs> well, we did. we've yeah. done that once already with the jack yeah. the radio book we i got it and then i ordered several other copies for the rest of the guys on the show so we we have done that your quality of your books is excellent. I mean, for a small company, you guys, you know, spare no expense. You got nice cardstock covers. Everything is really high class. I really appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to make a good book, you want it to come out looking nicely. I mean, not only do you want your script to be drawn well, art to be colored well, so forth, you got to keep it going down the line because one thing is missing, whether it's production or lettering or whatever, the whole thing falls apart, you know? And we've yeah. been delighted to bring a bunch of different kinds of books to market. Um, we will size and shape a book for the, the way that it will best read. And that's always been an important aspect of the, of the process to us. And we can do that because we can concentrate on a book or, or two a month instead of just trying to pump out as much as possible. And nothing infuriates me more as someone who loves uh, books than buying a first arc trade paperback and literally having the glue just like come apart in your hands while you're while you're reading it. Um, I would much rather ask someone to pay a little bit more money to have a book that's going to stay on their shelf forever than to have that happen so that, um, you know, someone along the line will argue that we could sell more copies. We the, the book itself is an essential aspect of Away Blue World's products, and we are we're really committed to that idea that they do look and read and, and represent the stories inside to the best of their to the best of their ability so thank you for noticing that yeah you talk about the quality of the books and you know i remember i mean i'm uh what 43 so i was a kid in the 80s so i didn't see a ton of them but every once in a while i would get my hands on you know that was the black and white 80s boom the indie boom you know and some some of those books, Justin, is it were felt like exactly what you just said. It's like, oh, I have this idea, scribble it down, and boom, get it out as quick as you can. And a, a lot of it was not quality stuff. <laughs> so it is nice to see indie companies now producing quality work. Well, and it's good too. I mean, we're distributed nationally at every comic book store, and then nationally through every library um every school and and uh every um every uh bookstore so you know it, we're we occupy a really cool spot in the in the world of book distribution and publishing because you can get our stuff anywhere but we on our side of the the things can really concentrate on each one of those releases 
rather than trying to, like I said, pump out as many things as possible. Going back to some of your advice to, to, to younger um, um, or first-time comic book creators, I can remember a time, because I too am, am, am 43, I, I can remember a time where my local comic book store owner made his independent comic book, and he had to print 5,000 of them. And now, literally, you can you can get online and find a, 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 a printer, or, or I work ton locally, um, and you can ask for five or ten copies. I mean, the 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 buy-in is so much lower now. So you know, make that scribbled comic book. Work on your uh, work on your voice. Find those people. But like we discussed, when you're ready to go to the next level, make sure that you're working backwards from something that you know you can be proud of and is exactly or as close to what you want it to be as it can be. Um, because eventually you're going to have to sit down with somebody and say, this is me and this is what I can do. And they're going to open it up and that's it. That's your one shot. So make sure that shot is a good one. If all this ever breaks down, you should be a teacher because we always say, start with the end in mind and you work <laughs> backwards. So it's, it's filmmaking 101. So that's the, that's the great thing. Bringing some of those other, Tyler was talking about his his role as an educator in the bat, in the past, bringing some of those other life experiences into the things that you're doing. You would be amazed how much like corporate work has helped us structure our yearly publishing plan. Um, it's uh, it's wonderful to bring to bring different life experiences together. Yeah, very cool. Speaking of little small things. Um... Phantom of the Opera is coming out in October. I'm sure people haven't heard about that one. You guys want to talk a little bit about what Phantom of the Opera is? Yeah, we've been sitting on it for a little while as we've been um, really building up uh, our publicity for it through the book market as we knew this was something that we really wanted to lead the charge into the library, schools, bookstores, you know, as well as comic book retailers. Um, it's... Uh, an artist um, that I've worked with and went to school, well, we went to the same school, um, Barya Tomi, he's from Hungary. And he's actually colored some work for Kevin Eastman, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, one of his Kickstarters, I, for, I forgot what it was, but first time I worked with him was on the Broken Frontier anthology. He teamed up with Marguerite Bennett. Um, did a cool story there, something something about the mountains. Um, forgetting the title of it now, but it was really neat. And he just pitched me this idea for the adaptation. Uh, I really love the style that he went with. Very ornate. You get the feeling of the time period of France, of the opera house. Um, you know, it didn't feel like just another comic book trying to tell, you know, an adaptation of, of this story. You know, it didn't feel like 90s um, image art doing their version of a phantom. You know, it felt like, oh, this, this is what that book would have looked like um, if it was drawn. And it is based off of the novel by Gaston Leroux, not the musical. I know the musical has probably been the biggest sort of media sensation um, and how people know of it. Um, so I thought it was another compelling part about it was that it actually brought a lot of the elements of the novel that people may not be as familiar with. Um, the Phantom himself is a little bit more monstrous than just sort of having half of his face covered. Uh, there's a little bit more focus on the singer, uh, Christine Day. Uh, she has a little bit stronger of an arc, which I thought fit with this modern era of, of wanting female protagonists in there, not just sort of like the, uh, 
the one who needs to be saved, the damsel in distress type um, thing. And yeah, it was just an extraordinary, unique vision on how to tell this novel in a comic book adaptation, which is what we're looking for. And we're very excited to finally have it ready to come out in October. Good sort of spooky gothic romance that I think, you know, in October people will be uh, hopefully in the mood for. When I saw the preview of that, it brought to mind for me, um, I don't remember who wrote it off the top of my head, but uh, the Marquis, Guy Davis. Guy Davis, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, very much the, you know, nailing the time period and the detail and all of that looked very cool. That's my next next task. Can I bring Guy Guy Davis back to comedy? <laughs> Call him up. <laughs> How many pages is Phantom? 120. 120. Okay. Is that a complete one or is this part one? Yeah, it's complete. It's complete. Yeah. We have that blog and everything. <laughs> what's what's amazing to me too is that he he did every single page single-handedly. So, you know, in the film world, we talk about the auteur theory, and but that's usually a tribute to a director or whatnot. Well, in the comic book world, the auteur theory holds up because one person literally did create everything that you see and read, um, straight, mm-hmm. straight, straight down to the lettering. So it is a singular vision, and you don't get a lot of those in the, uh, in the graphic novel world. And I think people are going to be, be blown away. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can tell a little bit from the cover what it looks like and some of the preview issues. But yeah, when you get that book in your hands, start flipping through those pages, just seeing, oh, wow, we brought that world to life. Yeah, it's it's different than anything else you see in the comic book field. Yeah, and you definitely don't see people lettering their own art pages. So <laughs> not not very much anymore. Yeah. At some, I'm going to ask you a favor. At some point, I want to see you guys do an old school cover and put dorky words and and make it seem really exciting. You know, like they used to do back in the day when they would put text and print and all kinds of stuff on there. <laughs> oh, yeah, copy on that, right. Yeah, in this issue. <laughs> I, still go to the comic book store. <laughs> I still go to the comic book store every Wednesday. And so, I, yeah, I love looking back at some of the classic design. In fact, one of the things that I really loved about, this is a little off topic, but Morrison's Batman and Robin was how he brought yellow back to the cover because yellow used to be this background color that was on a ton of old school issues and that first batman and robin when they had yellow in the background i was like oh i get it they're 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 going right back um so there's so much to be learned and so much fun to have with some of those older designs and some of those other techniques for sure yeah thought balloons would be another one right the <laughs> dodo Ben just brought those back for a, yeah. for a long time. That was weird because it would be like <laughs> small phrase, thought balloon, small phrase, thought balloon. The same person's like thinking back and forth. It was almost a little too confusing, but it was a great experiment. Yep. How, um, you know, all the, I know, Justin, you're in Portland, right? That's correct. And Tyler, I don't remember where you are. New York. Okay. So you talk about going to the comic shop. Um, how is all of the like the protests and everything is that affecting you know the areas those are in have any of your your local haunts been damaged or uh, anything like that so i'll dispel a, a, a weird national rumor on the portland front right now um uh, the portland protests happen in a literally three block mm-hmm. base in downtown portland i ride my bike around the river uh once every week including downtown um and it is uh and the city is is 100 percent fine 
I mean, the city is 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 under siege by the the pandemic, yes. but not by the protests. Um, and so when we talk about the comic book world and the comic book shops and what they are are dealing with and threatened by, um, it's certainly not um, protests against the uh, inequitable, inequitable, uh, inequitable society and um, and the issues that are we obviously need to deal with as a as a community. Um, what what is important, I think, is that we recognize that comic book stores were without new product for almost two months, and even yes. now are um, uh, you know woefully um, um, underrepresented in terms of like um, a loan support and um, a new product, and so it's essential if you love comic books to find your local comic book store, go to your local comic book shops and support them uh, any, any way you can. Um, we, we need them to survive. We, 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 they must survive, not just because we love comics, but because they are a place of, of refuge and a place of modern mythology and a place of, 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 of real, I believe anyway, social importance. Um, if you believe this story is important, you believe comic book stores are important. So my deal is, is that Portland seems to be backing up its comic book stores pretty well. Um, we have a lot of them here and they've been backed up by their communities, but nobody's having an easy time now. And so, you know, to my, to my, to my friends out there in the comic book store um, world, um, you know, both the Wave Blue World and, and certainly the people part of Wave Blue World are are with them 100%. And, um, you know, committed to helping any way we possibly can. So yeah, I'm so serious, but it's, a, it's an intense time and it's an intense topic. No, absolutely. I agree with all of that 100%. And if I could just quickly, I would share uh, the story of our friend Sean in Comics Cubed. Uh, you know, when Diamond shut down, he was not sure what was going to happen with his shop. And um, he kind of, he started very quickly uh, just grabbing everything off the shelves and all of his long boxes going through everything. And he started doing Facebook live sales twice a week. And I mean, it more than kept him afloat. I mean, he was, he did very well actually. And which I know is not the typical experience of a lot of the comic shops during this time at to that point i just recently went to uh, bloomington indiana and visited when i travel i usually like to check the comic shops just check them out see you know what they look like and i was talking to the proprietor there and i mean he said what you were talking about he's like uh, we didn't he wasn't sure he was going to be able to keep the doors open and he said in a seven week period he made the money he normally makes in one week stretched over seven weeks. So, and he's still trying to get back on his feet and keep the doors open. So, I, I mean, it, you know, it, it was rough for everyone. And I, I feel like uh, Sean got lucky and got busy and figured it out and did well for himself. And, but I know that is not the typical experience. And he served a community for so many years that we, in turn supported him supported him yes in, in reverse so yeah tyler yeah. i think you were going to say something i think i cut you off before <laughs> oh um i don't know if you want me to answer that question i mean it's sort of the same thing in, in new york um where it's been more of the 
pandemic than anything else and the quarantine and that's been difficult. And in the city, there's a lot of people willing to support the shops, but there's also a lot of shops and the rent is very high. Um, so it's been difficult. So yeah, same thing. There are a lot of shops struggling, trying to make it work. See some of them on Facebook, trying to do the same thing, the sales, um, both in Manhattan, Brooklyn. Um, so yeah, I mean, we just have to continue supporting them. We, I've, I've been out buying comics from the stores where I can. We've been reaching out to a stores that wanted to order direct from us when Diamond wasn't shipping. Anyway, we can help get our books into their stores and, and sell them to their customers, uh, like we did with Sean at, at Comics Cube. Um, and, and they're successful because of their relationship they're building with the customers. So it's, you know, it's almost like just a chain of, of relationships. You're just building them and the relationships you build with somebody, you get the relationships they've built um, and keep making those connections. Um, we're actually over an hour now, but I definitely want to get um, a quick take from you on American Terrorist, which is another book you have coming out in October. Yeah. Talk about that one a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So this is the 10th anniversary edition. Uh, this is my first creative collaboration with my wife, Wendy. We wrote the story together uh, right about when my daughter was uh, born. Uh, she's 13 now is when we started writing it, pushing her in the carriage. Um, it was a reflection on politics, on the world, uh, protests. Uh, <laughs> and the funny thing is we kept selling it over the past 10 years and every year at the conventions we'd be like, yeah, this was six years ago, but it feels just as relevant today. And we realized nine years into it that, hey, we keep saying this is just as relevant. <laughs> and it can't even be more so now with the protests, um, with the government agencies, with the, the overstepping of authority um, and so forth. So we said it was time to put it out, uh, put out a new edition. Um, the other thing is that the first edition was black and white. Uh, Andy McDonald did some great artwork. He's really good with the blacks and the storytelling. Um, the plan was to get it colored, um, but as I was putting it together, the colorist couldn't stick on it because he just got too big doing other projects. He's like, oh, I can't commit the time to this. He found a replacement. Um, but then she got really big, like really fast right away. Uh, the first guy was Matt Wilson, who's done a bunch of things, including uh, Wicked and Divine. And then Jordi Belair was on it for like five pages and then blew up. And I was like, so like, um, I'm not gonna say distraught, but uh, frustrated by the process that I was like, you know what? It looks great in black and white. I'm gonna put it out in, uh, black and white so we did like the first um print run like that and it did it looked good um i did end up finding a colorist like that same month it came out and uh, michael wiggum and he was committed to it and before i knew it like three months later the whole thing was done and i was like oh that wasn't so hard <laughs> um, so we had these color versions of the pages for some time and i'm like i know we had to bring them to print at some point so you know, with the whole 10th anniversary and it just seeming as relevant as ever, we're like, let's do it. We, Wendy and I did make the mistake of, oh, should we look through the lettering or the, the script one time, see if we polish up here and there. And we ended up doing a pretty full um, polish, um, which we're quite proud of. It's still the same story, um, but there are a lot of things that were like, oh, that really cleaned up here. So it's a new addition. It's in color for the first time in print. 
uh, the script has definitely been remastered, relettered, new word balloons and everything. So it's a fresh take. I'd be interested in hearing from people who read the black and white version and will then read this one. And I'm interested to hear people reading this for the first time. Um, I think it's a really unique project. It really looks into what we can do, our place as American citizens and, and what we can do to make a difference and start, I don't know, having more control, um, more of a say in what's happening in our country when it feels like some ways things are spinning out of control and you can't do anything other than post about it really like emphatically. <laughs> don't you see this? Don't you see what's going on? You know, I mean, these people try to try to answer those questions in, in whatever way they can. Um, and yeah, we're just super proud of it. Super excited to have a new edition, new fresh edition out this October, just before the election. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I have to say about it. Yeah, I'm, and, I'm incredibly excited about this one too, because I, like we talked about earlier, I've seen it come to fruition in a real way. And I'm, I'm probably the biggest fan of this book you could possibly have. Um, Pete Carlson, our, our, our uh, production designer is just, created an astounding package for this book. Every page is remastered brilliantly. And it's just such a thrill ride. I mean, Paul Greengrass would kill to direct the, the script of this, this movie. It is just, it is so character driven, but it is also so exciting and, and, and just so, yes, yeah, just so action packed. It's, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how people respond to it, especially right before the election. And Tyler, you want to talk a little bit about the introduction, which I think is pretty cool? Yeah, yeah. I just want to say something real fast. Every dad joke that you see in there, I fought for. Reading through it, she's like, should we cut this? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> the comment right there. Um, <laughs> so there are some moments. Um, as far as the introduction, so let me just take you back to 10 years ago when I put out the first um, black and white edition. I printed up 100 copies, speaking of being able to print um, in smaller print runs, not really knowing what the reaction would be because it's not your typical comic, you know, it's not superheroes or any type of uh, hero or genre, really. I mean, it's pure, just political people in today's climate. So I, I, I had it for New York Comic Con and 100 copies, it sold pretty well. And one of the people who bought a copy was George Ustines who writes for the New York Times. He does their comics coverage in there. And no idea what's coming, all of a sudden shows up in the New York Times review of American terrorists. Literally 100 copies printed, wasn't on Amazon, wasn't in libraries or anything. People are like emailing me through my website, like, how do I get this? I can't find this book anywhere. And I was like, man, I'm traveling for a new print run, which we eventually had for the last couple of years, trying to get out to people, this was, I mean, this was early on, too. People didn't buy directly from the websites like they do. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he just really loved the book. It was really encouraging. It meant so much for me. This was my second book ever um, to be in the New York Times like that. It just felt a little, I'm not going to say unearned, but, man, it was like, it was one of those, like, jump moments. Like, oh, should I be up here um, at this time? You know, um, with still so much to, to learn in the comic book industry and everything. But um, I'd stayed in contact with George over the 10 years, and I asked him if he would write the foreword for this new edition, which he was incredibly excited for. Gave us a great wow. foreword, and uh, that's in the book for, for this edition. Um, you know, George Gusini's uh, from the New York Times. 
Wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, see, so we got that's October, and then in November, um, you already mm -hmm. mentioned maybe someday, but yeah. you also have um, a re-release of the twenty-seven run, and then which will lead into next year twenty-seven run crush. You just want to give us a quick overview on what we can expect with those? Yeah, I mean, sure. I'm, 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 oh yeah, run run with Tyler. No, I was just going to introduce you in the sense that it, it just goes back to wave the world and being, you know, <clears throat> old is new again and um, bringing some of our old work to a new audience while also having brand new, fresh concepts. And this will be our first uh, real sequel, um, not just an anthology, but this is a storyline that continues from volume one, which will be out, re-released in November and, and then crush the next volume out in March of 21. And I'll let Justin talk more about his series. Well, for, for me, the, the 27 run is, is, uh, was a, a remarkable process. We put out the entire thing online for free over, I don't know, a series of, a series of time through a wave world, which was, uh, a uh, strategy that Tyler let me play around with, and eventually we did for a couple of different books, which was which was fantastic. And when it came together, it was an over it's an oversized hardcover, and just one of the most re remarkably um, uh, big, bold, and visual things you've ever seen. I mean, it's mechs and monsters, it's it's black comedy, it's sci-fi, it's endearing, it's hilarious, and um, got some really really remarkable reviews but it came out right at the time when we first were doing kind of major distribution so a lot of people much like the killing jar haven't haven't experienced it yet so we wanted to make sure that that was out because in january the first issue of the 27 run crush comes out and then in march the sequel um to the 27 run aka the 27 run crush uh, hits everywhere, which again is an oversized hardcover. It's actually bigger than the first graphic novel and is one of the most wonderful and incredible things I think I've ever been a part of. Every single person who worked on it with me just just did the very best work of their careers. The covers are extraordinary, the pinups are extraordinary, and the story itself is is just just bold and beautiful. And basically what I did was I switched the, the lead character um, from the first graphic novel to the second graphic novel. So uh, not only is it a sequel, but it's also a remix. And in a really in a really fun and I hope original way for the audience. Um, and so to, to me, uh, I guess we were talking a little bit about writing before. Unlike something like The Killing Jar, some of my other bigger pieces where I will structure out the entire thing. My challenge for the 27 run has always been to write it in short pieces and then to find it along the way. So it was as experimental to me um, as it will be, I hope, for somebody to really enjoy reading it. So it fresh and new for me as a writer, as hopefully their experience is as a, as a reader. So um, definitely look for the 27 run and, um, and enjoy that. But just know that as cool as it is, it is a, a fraction of how amazing uh, Crush <laughs> is going to be um, in early uh, 2021. And I am, yeah, I'm just very, very, very excited about, about what people are going to think about that one. So you guys have a lot of cool projects coming out. So when should we expect 
mm-hmm. you to announce that Away Blue World has signed like a first look deal with Netflix or Amazon or something like that. <laughs> What's interesting to me is that for a lot of people, we were talking about, um, you know, we were talking about uh, uh, the the ten year uh, overnight success. And so because we've recent, more recently entered some of the larger distribution and exhibition markets, a 15-year-old company that's been putting out astounding work uh, for years upon years now is still being introduced to people for the first time. We have a major review coming out for Phantom where the editors said, oh, we love finding new, <laughs> finding new voices. In other mm-hmm. words, us as a us as the as the publisher. So part of what's exciting about this year uh, and next year and our schedule, because we've just barely scratched the surface of. I mean, we're we're designing books now for April, May, and June. We've got next year almost completely completely scheduled out. Um, I mean, we're talking about twenty twenty two stuff in in all seriousness um, a year and a half in advance. No no problem. So I think what's going to happen is naturally more and more uh, folks are going to to find Away Blue World as a publisher of just amazing material. And then recognize, too, that, of course, Tyler and Wendy have a huge amount of material and I have a huge amount of material that's ours. But that Away Blue World is a creator-owned publisher. And unlike many, many, many other publishers, we do not ask for, certainly do not demand rights other than publishing rights to the creator-owned work that we publish. So that's mm-hmm. on our website, and that's part of our entry process, and that's an important deal. So while we could look sign first-look deals with our material, um, people who, who uh, sign on with us are going to get great books that are represented incredibly well in the marketplace, but they don't have to be worried about us telling them what they should be doing in the multimedia world with their, um, with their work. That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, we've talked about a lot of great books tonight. Uh, but before we get off here, what I want to make sure that we do is give all of your sites where we can either buy our books, we can follow you guys on social media. So this is your chance right now to tell us where we can find you. Tyler, you want to go first? Yeah, well, the, the website is the easiest to remember. That's awbw.com, just four letters.com. We made that short for you. But everywhere else on social media, you look up a wave blue world. We're on Instagram, Facebook. Um, what's that other one? Oh, Twitter. <laughs> Those kids use the Twitter. We gotta get rid of the Twitter. Be on there. Um, yeah, just just a wave blue world. Um, and then Tyler Chin Tanner. I'm on same thing: Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Excellent. And Justin. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty proud of our website. It's a central hub, and um, you know, certainly you can always find us on Previews World, uh, Diamond Comics, uh, uh, online portal where. You'll you'll be able to find our newest offerings, including what's what just opened up this past week, which is uh, the Phantom of the Opera in American Paris. Um, you can Google, I think, Justin Zimmerman filmmaker, but um, my uh, production company is called Bricker Down Productions, so it's BrickerDown.com, and from there you can see links to all kinds of my film, uh, narrative, documentary, and comic work uh, that I that I'm very proud of to this day. But I have to tell you. Um, Working in comics, they, they say comics breaks your will break your heart, and certainly comics breaks your heart on a pretty regular basis. But there's nothing, nothing, nothing cooler than bringing a book to market, and um, I, I just, yeah, I just cannot say how excited I am for everybody to be getting to know us for the first time 
and coming along on the ride with us because we have some amazing things coming. That's fantastic. And uh, just in case they don't remember you, Metalhead, you want to tell them where we can find you? Uh, you can just find me on Instagram at Metalhead Monday. Yep. It's uh, close to being Country Head Monday. We're going to work on that. We'll see. Uh, we're getting away from that. We did two in a row that were kind of country and we're moving on. So. <laughs> And a quick recap. If you are interested in any of these books, you can find The Killing Jar in August. Make sure that you get to your local comic shop and request them to order these books. Deadbeats in September, Phantom of the Opera, and American Terrorist in October. And then in November, you get a re-release of the 27 run. Maybe Sunday, their Kickstarter book comes out. And 27 run Crush comes out in 20. 21. Did I miss anything, guys? Well, that's a great rundown of what we got coming up. Sweet. Great company. Great books. Make sure you support your local comic shop and get these books in your hands. I'd like to thank Tyler and Justin for coming on the show tonight. Guys, that was awesome of you to spend a little time with us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you very much. Anytime. And you can find Wanderings and Wool Gathering on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, CastBox, Stitcher, and at rock985.com. After you listen, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Until next time, which will be Sunday with Ashton Knight and his new record, Waiting for a Voice, we will see you then. Bye now. Oh.